1: Is there value in evangelical ecumenism? And then the signs that you're a church consumer.
2: Six strategies for talking about the abortion debate, and later, where to look when you're prone to wander. You're listening to The Common.
3: Everybody. Welcome to The Common
1: Good here on AM 1160, Hope For Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us on a Thursday afternoon. If you've missed any of our shows this week, go on and get our podcast. Wherever it is, you get your podcast. Don't know why I went high voice on that one there, but go. <laughs> get your
2: podcast. <laughs> go get the podcast. Going through puberty on The Common Good. <laughs> Wherever
1: it is, you get your podcast. Just subscribe, rate, review. You can also find us online at 1160hope.com, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at common good talk. All right, Aubrey. Our friend Ed Stetzer. He's more your friend. My acquaintance, your friend. Yeah, he's
2: my bed. He's like my I'm not buddy. sure
1: if Ed Stetzer and I were in the same room, he would know that he was in the same room as me.
2: Well, one time I think I told you this that I was over at Wheaton and he said, Oh hey, I just saw your I just saw your radio co host. And I was like, No, you didn't. No you, did no, you didn't. So I don't know who he thought he saw. Ian was in town. I don't know what happened Hopefully there, but
1: some <laughs> Big, strapping, good looking guy walking across campus. <laughs> What's the old saying? A tall drink of water going across. Well, Ed rode over church leaders, as he is ought to, uh, often to do. The quote, dangerous calling of evangelical uh, ecumenism, E C U M E N S I M. Ecumenism. Is that how I would say the word? Yeah.
2: Yeah, okay. I would say, I, I usually use it ecumenical, not necessarily And that's what he's going to get. Well, but... Why don't
1: you define that as best you can for us? When we talk about mm-hmm. ecumenism, ec- ecumenical, yeah. what are we talking about?
2: So it refers to like the global church, essentially. So when you talk about something happening ecumenically, you mean like the church around the
1: world. Mm-hmm. And I think it also refers to different Churches working different together
2: denominations
1: and re- reaching, if you will, to use a political term across the aisle of differences to find out what is most common um and link in some ways. I remember that sparked. I got a long letter here at the radio station years ago when Ian and I had on somebody who had I'm using air quotes here, converted to Catholicism. OK. And the person wrote us and was like, that was completely inappropriate. Oh, wow. We're like, well, oh. we thought it was a necessary conversation. conversation. It was a long this. Yeah. Ed says this. A few years ago, a leader in my denomination referred to me as, quote, the most dangerous person in the denomination. The reason the leader gave I was what he called an evangelical ecumenist. Mm. Now, he certainly didn't intend for it to be a compliment, but I have a confession. I like it. I think the term evangelical ecumenist fits very nicely, actually. And the part about it being dangerous, well, that's precisely the kind of danger that Jesus calls us to, the dangerous act of living and working together as the body of Christ. And now Ed is going to give some nuance here. He says, I can consider myself... An evangelical ecumenist, a big E for evangelical, a little E uh, for ecumenist, because while I believe evangelical ecumenism is crucial, I don't follow the classic approach to ecumenism. I feel like I'm saying that word wrong, but I'm going to keep going with it. No,
2: keep going with it.
1: What I mean by that is that I don't believe in searching for the lowest common theological Mm. denominator through a generalized statement, such as Jesus is Lord. Of course Jesus is Lord, but Jesus is more than that. He is God. He is the one born of a virgin. He suffered, died, and was buried and rose again, ascended into heaven, and is coming to judge the living and the dead. Jesus is the head of the church, which has pastor, elders, and deacons, calls people into covenant membership, and baptizes believers. That's too specific for many big E ecumenists. So while I'm an evangelical ecumenist, I'm an evangelical small e ecumenist. Ecumenous. That's okay. a lot. So I'm going to pause wow, there. Ed that's has more lot. to say. But I think what if I could speak for Ed Stetzer, I think what he's trying to say there is I'm not looking for the lowest common denominator. I want to hold to our beliefs, but I also mm-hmm. want to look for ways that uh, for things we have in common, but probably even more than that. Ways that we can bless the world and bless our community together.
2: Yeah, I'm guessing Ed, because he's a missiologist, is going to talk about how can we partner with uh, with one another in order to you know spread the message of the salvation of Jesus Christ, in order to see God's kingdom advanced here on earth, in order to live out God's mission. And so that makes sense that he's not saying, "Look, I we just." Um, Lowest common denominator, but where are where are where do we have commonality? Where can we actually learn from one another? Where can we partner with uh, what Tim Keller calls like catholicity of the churches, mm-hmm. this universality of the churches for the name and uh, sake of Jesus Christ going forward?
1: Yeah, he goes on to say. Uh, my ecumenism does not mean that I think all Christians are the same and believe the same, nor does it mean that we should even ignore our differences. Mm. But I do believe that we can still share in the same gospel. We may not all baptize our people the same, but we share in one common baptism. That common bond empowers us to work together on common issues in our communities. We can tackle issues of poverty in our cities together. We can advocate for the sanctity of human life together. We can work to end injustices together. What do the Anglican Church in North America, the Southern Baptists, the Wesleyans, the Evangelical Free Church, and non denominational have in common were baptized into one body and share a common goal to share the gospel. Mm, so I don't I, think most people, uh, most, I don't think there, a lot of people agree with that. Uh, there's, yeah, he's telling right a line, that. I would guess, for some people. So where where should we land on that? Because he's saying for people who fall, what he would say, I guess, here is people, what appears he's saying is people who fall under the umbrella of, of Christ follower sharing in the gospel. We can have differences in some of the um, less core beliefs and also in how we do church and other things. Um, But I would would suspect other people probably find that to be a slippery slope. So I guess I'm asking, where do you kind of land on that?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. I had a conversation recently with uh, one from a Southern Baptist church, one from a Presbyterian church, older generationally, like uh, in the, in the, we don't say, can we say boomer? Boomer's an insult. Baby boomer though. Boomer generation, right? Mm-hmm. And um, it was about the nature of an altar call. Mm. And the Southern Baptist was saying, I cannot believe your church does not have altar calls. How do you know if anyone's coming to Christ? Mm. Presbyterian saying, what do you mean you have to have an altar call in order for someone to come to Christ? And they were... um I would say one more particularly than the other was a very, very closed minded to the other's sort of, uh, way of like coming to Jesus, mm. salvation, how, getting saved, like, however you want to say that. And ultimately it was sort of this, like, I think I was able to say, well, why not both? Like, you like, that's your favorite yep, meme. Yep. Why not both? I'm not sure that some of these issues, like Ed is talking about, need to be issues. In fact, at the heart, they're the same. Like both people in this conversation want to see people know and grow Jesus, know and grow, know Jesus and grow in Jesus. Um, The, the method of that is not necessarily worth debating when ultimately the end goal is the same, but I think you're right, Brian. I think people get very um, attached. They even baptize things that don't need to be baptized mm. and then feel like that's a dividing wall. Where actually scripturally. It might not be.
1: Yeah. And uh, this question gets really murky about outside of the umbrella of evangelical, but mm-hmm, certainly, <clears throat> but he says, uh, let me just read out. Ed read it finishes it. He says, uh, Evangelical ecumenism is ultimately about learning to find agreement or suspicion or hostility once existed. Mm. Since we share a common view of the gospel that can and should involve common prayer and evangelism strategies, it might involve learning about church planting together, and it certainly involves cultivating agreement on issues like the sanctity of life, advocating for justice, and protecting victims. This is good and helpful to our witness and the growth of the kingdom. Let's do this more and more. Mm. There's an evangelical ecumenism that values Values our doctrinal differences and takes them seriously Mm. and still acknowledges our common bonds in Christ and our common mission to reach the world with the gospel. I, I think one of the takeaways here for me is we're really good at building walls. We're really good at running to our tribes. We're really good at living in bubbles, whatever other imagery that you want. And I think Ed brings up an interesting point. Where are we stronger together than apart?
2: Well, and it's very Ephesians one, two and three, right? Like there doesn't, because of Christ, there's no longer these dividing walls. This, this hostility that once existed doesn't need to anymore. And he's speaking to people, Jews and Gentiles, like furthest apart from Mm. each other as possible. But under Jesus, we're unified. So there you I think go. this is a good word.
1: That's right. And uh, Aubrey, I'm heading off on vacation. It's my last day I for know. a couple you days. I so
2: excited? You're going to be gone tomorrow and a few days next week. Catherine McNeil's subbing in for you, so I that's going to be fun.
1: Super excited. Yeah. Really excited. I've told you many times in the past, I feel like there's a, there's some things in this world I don't do well and there's other things that I do really well. Yes. Vacation, I do really well. You know,
2: I was pulling into the studio this afternoon and I was thinking to myself, uh, Brian and I both really like vacation. We do. How we've got to somehow maneuver the common good. To, to like be on the road with the common good, common good in Hawaii, common good in Australia, None common good happening. in it. No, that's not happening. But we got to think about it, Brian. We can Lombard. make, we can believe it, we can dream it, we can make it come true. Let's start
1: with, we'll start with the Chicago land area, and we'll work our way out. righty. as you know, Aubrey and I are both pastors, and so these types of articles always catch my eye. Tom Rainer over at Church Answers, uh, Church Answers. Uh, Tom Rainer is maybe the leading church kind of um, he um uh, statistician, right, mm-hmm. researcher. He's near the top of that list. And so he wrote a blog post the other day, 11 signs you're becoming a church consumer instead of a church member. He says, I'm a church member. I teach small group. I occasionally preach when my pastor's out, but sometimes I start... I sometimes start acting like a church consumer instead of a committed church member. Mm. Uh, I start acting like the church is supposed to serve me and get my needs met. He says the unholy trinity is me, myself, and I. And so he says, I've started tracking my own attitude by going through a series of signs that my commitment to my church is not really what it should be. Let me Before we go through his list, how would you define a church consumer? Mm -hmm. And I guess more importantly... Why is that a negative thing?
2: Okay, I would say I define a church consumer as like you're coming to be entertained, right? Mm-hmm. Like almost like you're watching your favorite Netflix or going to the movie theater. You come, you get entertained. Maybe you, you like the message and then you leave. So one, like church community isn't necessarily in your life or changing your life. You're not... Uh, like some other marks, like you're not growing in your relationship with God through the church. You're not, eh, who cares if you miss or don't miss a Sunday, you're willing to consume any pastor. Really? Mm-hmm. It doesn't even have to be your local church. And I'd say things like you're not volunteering, you're not giving, et cetera. Yeah. That's what, that's the kind of, why does it matter? Well, because we're not, I mean, this is where we go back to like, we are called to as Christians. It's a communal call. We're called to do this Christian life together. And, when you come to christ you are inherently now part of the church called on mission and uh, we do that mission through our local church body and so you're missing out on like a a big part of your Mm -hmm, faith by mm -hmm. not being an active participant in a local church community
3: there
1: you go and so i I know this is something we believe strongly about but especially coming out of covid i think these have gotten highlighted more and more so tom Rainer gives us eleven signs that you may be becoming a church consumer, so let's do this. Let's read through the uh the eleven uh and tell me what you think.
2: okay, let's hear it.
1: Number one, your worship attendance is becoming optional. Mm, yep, we've talked about this one a lot before because um you know. Especially coming out of COVID, yeah. we live in a culture where things happen on Sunday mornings. Mm-hmm. My wife and son were at his baseball tournament this past weekend, which included Sunday. Right? Um, why is optional church attendance um, a at least a yellow flag, if not a red flag?
2: Yeah, I think one. I mean, the obvious thing is it means church is not that important to you, mm. right? So it's not really a priority. Anything that's not a priority, you're gonna make it optional. You're probably gonna drift away from. I think too, it goes back to what I was saying before. Is I I do think sometimes we we are so individualist in especially evangelical Christianity that we just think, well, all I need is my alone time with Jesus. That's it. I don't. I need Jesus, but not the church. But that's not a biblical view of Christianity. Like we are called to be a people we're baptized into Christ and a church community. Like uh, gathering in worship is a biblical mandate Hmm. and it is part of the Christian life.
1: There you go. Uh, Number two, you replace in-person attendance with digital worship. He writes parenthetically, though I fully understand that some people are under unable to attend in person. So, my take on this one is I think people who are saying that they're only watching digitally mm-hmm. are not telling the truth,
2: meaning they're not actually watching. I think
1: they're actually under category number one here. Yeah. What do you think?
2: Yeah, that's, I I think there's some besides the like obvious outliers, people who are unwell, or, yes, like, you know, can't come to worship. Yeah, yes. I, I think you're right. Uh, Brian, that, their worship attendance has become optional. I also think this goes back to the consumerism part is you're being entertained while not giving anything. Mm-hmm. And when you're attending an in-person, like I've heard people say, oh, so-and-so is my pastor. Mm-hmm. What they mean by that is they're watching this famous preacher sermons on YouTube once a week. And they're saying that person is my pastor. Well, no, that person isn't actually, like you may be learning, you may be inspired, you may be challenged, but pastoring is like, They're shepherding. They're in your life. Mm. They're discipling you. That's not happening through a screen.
1: That's right. That's right. Number three, your attendance to a small group is declining Mm. or you stop attending at all. Some people are like, well, that's just a program. What's the big deal?
2: Yeah. So this one, (laughs) this one's hard for me because I I feel like as a, both as an introvert and as someone so involved in church that sometimes I'm like, I don't want to go to a small group Mm -hmm. tonight um, because it feels like one an extra thing to have to do and two it feels like you and i've talked about being pastors in churches like you're going to go close with a group of people and then they're going to leave your church and you're <laughs> going to get hurt so some of it is my defense mechanisms are up but i think the reality is again this goes back to like we're we're meant to be known and to know others, mm. and we do that in community. And so whatever your church calls it, small group, Christian community, prayer meeting, Sunday school class, this regular gathering of people who know you and you know so that you can grow in Christ together, mm. that makes the Christian life thrive, right, and helps you endure.
1: You have to be honest, and since COVID, I've not been in a small group at our church, but yeah. we are uh, about to relaunch them in the fall, so I'm going to use this as guilt for myself. Here we go. Number four. Your attitude towards your church is more critical.
2: Um, <laughs> that's very interesting to me. Um, uh, in one sense, you wouldn't think that would make you a church consumer because you think that, oh, I'm so involved. I'm going to critique things. I want to see it change. But sometimes I remember early on when I was a youth pastor, there was a guy who critiqued and critiqued and critiqued and critiqued and critiqued. And, critiqued and all he did was con- Critique, critique. critique yes and i remember being very young probably 23 years old he was probably in his 30s and at one point i had so i was so sick of it i looked at him and i was like then do something to make it better <laughs> and it was the, I, I wouldn't have been putting it this theologically I, but he was being a consumer an outsider by putting his like hand of critique yeah. up and not actually being involved to make improvements or changes within the church
1: this is an interesting article i'm going to read the last all together here yeah. i actually wonder if this article would be better titled i'm not sure this is church consumerism i think this is about you're about to leave your church
2: mm, interesting signs you're about or to you're leave
1: signs you're about to leave the church in general okay that's interesting. what this feels like okay, to me
2: okay
1: uh number five you're giving declines or stops see i think that happens when you're leaving uh you six you critique sermons instead of listening Amen to that. Yep. Seven. You see church as a place to meet your needs instead of your meeting the needs yep. of others. Sure. Eight. You move readily to another church when your needs are Ooh. not met. Nine. You get frustrated at what other church members aren't doing. Hmm. Ten. You don't pray for your church. And eleven. You don't share the gospel. I think this is a consumeristic thing, but I think I might be onto something here, too, that this might be you're about to go.
2: Yeah, this I, I could see I could see some of this as like these are warning signs that you're on the way out, especially things like you're giving declines or stops. You stop praying for the church, right. those attending. types of those yeah. types of things. The interesting one, get frustrated when what other church members aren't doing I don't know if I would see that as a sign of consumers. And that, to me, feels like, no, you want everybody all hands in, you know. It so depends if, if it's yeah. a
1: legitimate frustration, Where I'm sure. from. Yeah. All right. Interesting, interesting stuff from Tom Rainer. It's here on The Common Good. We, we tackle hard subjects. Mm-hmm. We tackle difficult things. We mm-hmm. do. Uh, we try to dive into things. But every now and then. A little palate cleanser. We like to have fun. We like to have fun, and one of the ways we've been doing that is through some games. So, uh, I've done Marvel character or Bible story yes. with you, or you know, is this a movie quote or a Bible verse? Those types of things. We're going to let the most creative person on our team have a shot at it. Here, we have uh, welcomed in our executive producer Keith Conrad, and you and I are going to go head to head on a game <gasps> this here. Is so
4: exciting!
1: So uh, I am excited that Keith, welcome.
4: Well, thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: Please introduce for our audience what we will be playing.
4: Uh, you guys are going to be playing a rousing uh, game of Lollapalooza Band or children's book title.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be fun. Lollapalooza, which is it should be coming. Uh, did it happen already? Or is it coming up? No, it's coming up this weekend. Well that's why we're doing okay, this. Okay,
2: this is so exciting. As a
1: 45-year-old suburbanite, uh, me not knowing when Lollapalooza yeah. is is probably a very not surprising I've thing for people. I've never been to
2: Lollapalooza, but I have been to uh, Lilith Fair, oh. which I feel like years ago was sort of the like female version of Lollapalooza.
4: I don't but know. It, but, but it seems like there's plenty of female artists I at say. Lollapalooza. Yeah, so yeah. Sure I just it. feel
2: like back in the day Lilith Fair was the answer. The female answer to Lollapalooza. I Maybe don't. Not. I feel like Maybe I not. feel like
1: Lilith Fair had some other things going for it, okay. but we're not going to discuss okay. them here. Okay. The air. <laughs> okay.
2: <laughs> okay. Fair, fair. All
1: right. Uh, children's book or Lollapalooza
4: Palooza? Here band? we go. I am ready
1: for
2: this. Okay.
4: Okay. Who wants to go first? Okay, to go first? Can we can we do both of them? Can we can we both
1: guess on each one?
4: Uh. Well, it wouldn't be much of a competition.
2: Okay. Let's do one at a time then. Keith's Aubrey the game maker. First. I'll go first. Aubrey I'm ready. First. I'm
4: ready, Keith. Okay, uh Aubrey the Rainbow Fish. Uh that's a children's book.
1: That that is. I knew that one. We had that one with my kids right Yeah, when that's younger. what
4: I was thinking I could pick some yep, of the cover. Yep, yep. yep. Uh okay, that would uh make uh you Brian uh Peter Cottontail.
1: I think this is a trick question. I think that's a band.
4: It is. Yes, yes. nice job. Nice job. Uh, okay, so, so you're both doing okay. Yes, not, is, I'm gonna. Oh,
1: I'm going to overthink this because yeah. this is. He's gonna be like, "Good night, Moon." I'm mean, gonna be like, "That's you know." <laughs> 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 I'm ready. Okay. You're ready. Okay. You're ready. Okay, I'm
2: ready. I'm ready. I'm nervous.
4: Okay, Aubrey. I'm nervous. <laughs> chicka chicka boom boom.
2: <laughs> that's a kids' work. Uh, we have that one for sure. Yeah. We said Vegas and all the coconut a, tree. Chicka, chicka
1: chicka boom boom, is it is. I could do this. Yes,
4: yes uh brian sylvester and the magic pebble
1: a La la band
4: no that's oh! a children's <gasps>
3: band. i, I would have guessed
2: band too brian i would have guessed band too
1: definitely uh, i'm losing all i can hear is chicka chicka boom boom in my head right
2: now
1: <laughs> uh aubrey
4: summer of the monkeys i'm going band no, that's a children's <gasps> what? book.
1: Wow, okay. That would be a good band name. That would be a great are band name. Who you listening to? Summer of the Monkeys.
4: I mean, yeah. for real. Okay,
1: I'm back in this game.
4: Uh, Brian, the last dinosaurs. Oh man. Lala band. Uh, it is.
2: Yes. Oh! S- Dang, that's, that was yes. a good one. This is hard.
4: Uh, let's see. Aubrey Snuggle Puppy. <laughs>
2: kids
1: book yes we used to it have is. that kids book Ugh. we also had that we didn't have the that one that three, was a guess the only three on this list right now that i've had you've gotten all of them
2: wow wow okay <laughs> Woo. Woo!
4: uh brian coco and claire claire
1: <laughs> that's gotta be a Lollapalooza band
2: i don't know these are hard
1: Lollapalooza band yes okay
2: wow you're good brian oh, you're
1: just at this always game. go against your first inclination
4: okay Aubrey Mariah the Scientist. <laughs> uh, band. Yes, it is. Yay! Oh, see? Yes. Okay, uh, Brian, let's see. The Great Gilly Hopkins. <laughs> These are fantastic names.
1: The Great Gilly Hopkins is going to be a children's book. Yes, it oh. is. Oh!
2: Yeah, good job, Brian. Woo, woo, woo. I just
1: looked up Snuggle Puppy, and I can picture reading this oh, to my I children. Oh, I don't think
2: we ever had Snuggle Puppy. Okay.
4: Uh, Aubrey Stella Luna. That is a kid's book.
1: That is. I had that one, too. The how bat, are all The, the ones? Bat. How are all the ones that I've had on your side here?
4: Brian Pom Pom Squad.
1: Children's book. No. about
3: that, Oh! That's a long,
1: Oh, uh,
4: okay. Uh, Aubrey Daisy the Great, kids' book. No, oh, that's uh, Lollapalooza. I
2: was thinking, is there like Junie B the Great or something? I'm thinking of that. (laughs) Junie B, uh,
4: Brian Math Curse,
1: Math Curse. Yes, that's gotta be Lollapalooza. That's what
4: I had in school. (laughs)
1: That's Lollapalooza Band.
4: Uh, no, it's a children's book. What I was going to say, that book. one sounds like a
2: band, but that's a kid's book. <sighs> I'm losing,
4: I think. Aubrey, meet me at the altar. Band. Yes, it is. Oh, Phew. shoot. Uh, ch- 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 uh, Brian Hatchet. Hatchet. Band. No, it's a children's we book. We had that one. Did That's the only really? reason why I know. Did yeah, It's really? a little older. That's a middle school book. Brian's fallen behind. I'm
1: so way behind right? now. Yes. I'm going to do now. what Aubrey's husband does at the end of the go. <laughs>
4: Double or nothing. Uh, or, uh,
1: winner take all.
4: We're <laughs> uh, we at Aubrey now? <laughs> yes,
1: we are. Glass,
4: uh, Glass Animals. That's a band. Yes, it is.
2: I know their song, Heat Wave. Really? Heat Wave has been freaking
4: me out. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um... This one's worth Ryan. five. Sampa the Great.
1: Sampa the Great. Band.
4: That that is it. More, more like Sampa the okay.
1: <laughs> Am I right?
4: <laughs> uh Aubrey, number the stars. Mm. That sound uh,
2: it sounds like a YA book not a kids book how broad is children's book category
1: you're asking too many questions just guess
4: oh oh, i literally just googled children's book titles all right i'm
2: going i'm going book
4: you are correct
1: oh i needed you to miss that one
4: uh brian the phantom toll booth children's book yeah you know that yeah i i I I don't know that one.
1: one really no i don't know that one at all
2: look it up you'll be like oh yeah now i know look it up (laughs) google it
1: (laughs) i think we're tied Um,
2: no we're not i'm dominating this only by luck though let's be
4: honest aubrey girl in red Uh, band
1: that that is a band yes oh man you're on a roll here i
4: think we've decided who's better on pop culture stuff
2: shocking Uh,
4: (laughs) children's books pop culture
2: (laughs) Band pop culture, Brian? Mm.
4: Uh, Brian Alexander and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day.
1: Yeah, that's a children's book. Yeah. And a movie. And a movie. And a movie. movie. You're falling so far. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. You got to give him one. You got to give
4: him one. That that was the free space. I I just decided to. uh,
1: That's uh, a free space. (laughs) I think Aubrey should uh, get to decide if she does one more, she either gets all the prizes or gets wiped out. This is like, let's make a deal. But she has to do it.
2: So it's all on the line. All on the line. All right, let's do it.
4: I I feel like
1: that would be more fair for you.
4: Yeah, that's definitely more right, fair me. for Brian. So if, bring it through. Okay, okay.
1: you Okay, okay. Here's what we'll do. If I get this, you get one more to try to win. Okay. Since you're in the yeah. league. Okay,
4: okay. I like it. I like okay. it. So, Brian Maniac McGee. That's a band. That is not a band.
2: No! Oh! Oh! <laughs> you said
0: it so confidently. I had no <laughs> idea. Uh, okay. Aubrey wins, but give her, her one more okay, just give for me fun.
2: This will be my bonus. Uh Horse Girl. Oh, man. I'm going to go book.
4: Band. That's a band. Ah,
1: Ah! Oh, that was fun. Wow, that was awesome. Are you ready? Okay, ready. Ooh, snuggle puppy of mine. (laughs) Everything about you is especially fine. I love what you are. I love what you do. Fuzzy little snuggle puppy. I love you. I used to read that to my kids every night. Now I read it, I can picture where I was. Thanks, Keith. That was fun. Thanks,
2: Keith. That was a good one.
1: And if you've got any good games for us, send them our way. Brian,
2: uh, you know, we've talked quite a bit about the abortion debate, specifically over the past few weeks because of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Mm -hmm. And um, Brian, I had a conversation with a listener on the Common Good who sent me a message that... um, She listened to our show after um, that decision, the Supreme Court decision, and she told me, believe it or not, that we changed her mind.
1: That you told me this.
2: Yeah, she was uh, pro-choice, and she listened to our—we weren't even, like, necessarily trying to convince anybody of everything, of anything. We were just talking about how we felt about it and how the church needed to move forward, And she said, what I appreciated was your nuance. And I appreciated that you didn't make anyone feel judged. And I actually saw things from your perspective. And I realized, oh, they're right. Like, I I think I should be pro-life.
1: That is overwhelming. Yeah. When you texted me that, I was like, you know, we do a lot of silly kind of dumb stuff on the show. Yeah. (laughs) And every now and then you do wonder, is anybody listening, Mm -hmm. does this make a difference Mm -hmm. at all? And so not to pat on the back too much, but when you sent me that text, I was like, that's out of control. Yeah, like, I was,
2: that's crazy. I was a little, I was overjoyed one, but I was a little overwhelmed by like, oh, wow, words have more power than you think they're going to. And thank you, Jesus. Like, I yeah. felt like we, it was, it's not our agenda necessarily to like convince someone of something. And yet I'm so grateful that because of the conversation you and I had, somebody's heart was changed at least towards an issue that's that you right. and I think is theologically correct. So yes. it was very, very, very exciting. Well, Brian, with that in mind, churchleaders.com published something called The Art of Arguing Well, Six Strategies for Winning the Abortion Debate Without Losing Your Opponent. Um, And this uh, was written by a guy who is named Mike Spencer. We've talked about some of his articles before. What's interesting is I, he wants to make sure when you're talking about abortion, you don't alienate your audience. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, under the umbrella of that is probably the key to everything. His first strategy is take an honest interest in others. Yeah. What he says is with the noteworthy exception of public pro-life events and displays designed to create public dialogue, generally the most effective way to start one-on-one conversations about abortion is is to talk about other things and simply look for natural openings. He's talking about a conversation he had with someone, and he said he didn't set out to have a conversation about abortion, but just by getting to know someone, expressing an interest in their life, a door of opportunity opened. He says, if we're not careful, our burden for the unborn or any theological, political, social, or moral topic can blind us Relationally causing us to view family, friends, strangers as targets rather mm. than people. I think that is a key to a lot of conversation. And again,
1: the abortion debate is what is front burner right now. Yeah. It's what is uh, got everybody, you know, the emotions high. But these are good for any debate, yeah. right? Like, totally. You should never totally. go into a we talk a lot about demonizing people and seeing them as enemy. Like that's hard to do when you take an interest in them, when they're not a project, when mm-hmm. you are first. I really want to hear from you. Like, I really want to learn from you where, where you, you know, why do you believe what you believe? Why don't you believe in uh, what you say you're, whatever else it might be. I think this is good in everything. And particularly with the, with the emotional charging of the abortion Mm -hmm. debate right now, it's like, okay, the other person sitting across the table from you or even behind a screen is another person. So take an interest. in Yeah.
2: Oh, I think that's so good. All right. Strategy number two, attack arguments, not people. Like you said, this is good for any type of debate. Preaching the gospel repeatedly brought Jesus' disciples face-to-face with hostile opponents. This is from the article. They undoubtedly felt the urge to lash out, to respond sarcastically, to portray their antagonists unfairly, but they didn't. Paul wrote, Christ's love compels us. What a powerful example. Clever tactics and a good apologetic arguments are vital, but arguing well on behalf of the unborn has to begin with love. Yeah. And here's what he says. This is important. However, loving and respecting people does not mean loving and respecting their opinions. Uh, Some ideas are so bad and dangerous that we are duty bound to expose them. But at the end of the day, we do it with love. I think that's so key.
1: Yeah, I I just think, again, it goes back to seeing people as people. And so, yes, it doesn't. I, it doesn't mean that to see somebody and listen to them and see them as a person doesn't mean you have to argue, you have to agree with their arguments. Totally. And that's why I like strategy two here attack yeah. their arguments, but not the person. Yeah. Aubrey, I disagree with what you're saying mm-hmm. is very different than Aubrey, I think you're a bad person. Totally. Those are two totally. very Aubrey, different Aubrey, I think things. you're an
2: idiot for thinking that's exactly. totally different exactly. than like, oh, we don't see eye to eye on this, but we can still mutually like respect one another. That's right. Strategy number three define winning. That's in quotes. Define winning. The abortion debate from a biblical perspective. Winning does not necessarily mean having your pro-choice friend on his knees, renouncing his pro-abortion position. There's freedom in recognizing that our part is simply to make the most of every opportunity. To be sure, conversations are always full of grace and seasoned with salt. You've been talking about that a lot because you yeah. were preaching through First Peter.
1: That's right. And, and you want to be able to continue the conversation. That's it. And how does the conversation That's continue? It. Hey, let's dialogue some more.
4: Yeah. Hey, tell
1: me more about your family. Yeah. Hey, what a... It, it it's not rocket science right like it takes time rarely are you like I'm gonna have a debate with you. We're gonna be really personal about it. (laughs) And at the end you're gonna agree with me. And
2: then we're done.
1: So I think when we take that tact, it's really just to make ourselves feel better. Yeah. Oh, I told somebody what they should think about abortion Mm. or about Jesus or about this. Mm. What is actually going to be compelling to cause people to go, okay, let me think about that is is much more what they're getting at. Yeah, that's
2: good. All right. Strategy number four, stay focused on the unborn, stay out of the weeds. I think this is really interesting. He says, perhaps you've noticed that abortion supporters want to talk about anything and everything except the unborn child. They talk about a woman's right to choose, a broken foster care system, hard case scenarios like rape and incense, and a litany of other secondary issues. While these topics deserve our attention, none of them has anything to do with the moral question of abortion. Mm -hmm. Um, He says we should argue the uh, pro-life stance with clarity with a couple premises. One, it is morally wrong to intentionally kill an innocent human being. Two, abortion intentionally kills an innocent human being. Yeah. Three, conclu- the conclusion, therefore, is that abortion is morally wrong. So the point is kind of keeping the unborn, the child, yes. the baby at the center of the debate. We can
1: get lost in this debate a couple different ways, like right, rape and incest. And, yeah. stuff. and those are hard conversations. They are. Uh, Or on the, you know... on both sides we can go to the extremes but to remember okay no no this conversation is about what do you believe about an unborn baby Mm -hmm. and let's keep the conversation there yeah and that's how we'll progress down here
2: yeah that's good all right strategy number five there's two more Five, when appropriate, be the one to end the conversation. We've all encountered well-intentioned pro-lifers whose zeal-blinded them to normal social graces, causing mm. others to avoid them like the plague. That's so good. So being the one to end the conversations where you are likely to have future opportunities to revisit the topic can be particularly helpful. I think that's so good. Like, read the room and that's just right. know, like, okay, I need to back down now and chill out, walk away. This isn't This isn't the moment. I yep. think that's so important. Here's the last one. Keep in mind that the world is watching you. Although we shouldn't be consumed with an unhealthy need to be like or accepted, we should nevertheless care deeply about how we are perceived. We represent another King mm. and another kingdom. We are Christ ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. He's quoting second Corinthians five there. That's I think good. that's such a good, such an
1: important reminder yep. of all of these things, how you post online, how you interact with people. Like yep. ultimately there is no portion where you are not, there's nothing in which you are not a representative, an ambassador of Mm, Christ. So good. And so how does that flavor how you debate with people, how you post online, what you say to people? It it has to, that's the umbrella under which everything else falls. And if you don't do that, you can be pushing people away from even considering the claims of Christ. Yep,
2: such, such a good word. Brian and I were just... uh, off air, joking about the Proverbs thirty one woman because I wanted to share something from Proverbs thirty one. And Brian said, "I'm going to tell You're you." Gonna get me in trouble. Brian said, "Every night he asks his wife how she did it being a
1: Proverbs thirty
2: one <laughs> woman that day." And I said, "How does she respond?" And what did you say? Brian?
1: She, she asks me, "How do you think I did?"
2: <laughs> We're obviously joking. Brian does not do that. That would be
1: the end of my marriage quickly, quickly. <laughs>
2: Love you, love you sweetie. Ah, no. oh, yes. The, the old proverbs thirty one woman, the one that no Christian woman can actually live up to. actually, we're over at proverbs thirty one dot org, uh, devotion there by Beth Knight called "When, Where to Look, When we're Prone to Wander. Um, how do you understand wandering spiritually, Brian?
1: Yeah, that's great. It's so funny when she writes prone to wander, and I'm sure this is intentional, right? Mm-hmm. We all immediately begin singing the hymn prone to wander, come Lord, thou, I feel it.
2: Come thou fount of every, of every blessing. blessing. Yes, yep. yes. See, people think song. that
1: we're not old school. We're old. We're Look old. At us.
2: Uh, but, I love that song. But when I
1: think of wandering, I think of, so there's the Old Testament picture in the wilderness, right? Mm. The Israelites wandering in the desert. Yeah, but I wow. also just think more, more um, practically, I think about a lot of us. You don't you think of your faith as just this straight line, right? Mm. Like I grow, I grow, I grow, mm. I, I figure things out when really there are times that my faith is deep. There are times that I'm wondering, God, where are you yeah. right now? Like, yeah. God, why is this happening? And there's more of this roller coaster aspect. And I do think it's OK for us to acknowledge there are times where we are prone to wander, mm. like Lord, I don't know where you are, mm. my faith is struggling right now, mm. like what do I do? yeah, that's what I think about with wandering, right like and part of this gets into even nowadays, right in this whole deconstruction debate, yeah. I just think that's up at the heart of that is this this sense of like I'm wandering away from what i what I thought was true and this and that and I think wandering's okay, Yes. I think when we are prone to wander. Uh, that's a time to get on our knees and look, Lord, reveal yourself to Mm -hmm. me, Lord, Lord, I'm struggling. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, where are you? We see, we see David doing those kinds of things in the Psalm and other things. So what do you do? What's wander for you?
2: Well, I'm just even hearing you say this, Brian, I'm, I'm wondering, I'm wondering about wandering. wandering. Um, is wandering a necessary part of the spiritual life like I think sometimes we think about wandering as like no that's rebellious no that's wrong now certainly you're talking about the Israelites in the desert that was due to their rebellion but I wonder if there is something about God in those wandering seasons that is actually really meaningful and purposeful I don't know I haven't thought through it enough I'm just sort of questioning out loud as you're talking about it. I guess it depends on the posture of your heart in the wandering Are you intentionally wandering away from the God who saved you because you're bitter, angry, resentful, etc.? Or are you in just like a wilderness season of life that makes you feel like you're wandering? You're in an in-between season and you're like, God, where are you? I feel like I'm wandering. Well, that's different, right? Like, sometimes I think that's right where God wants you. Yeah,
1: I think that when you ask, is it a necessary uh, part? I think what is necessary about it is I, I would I would ca- I would call it this. It's an honest part of our mm. faith. So Is it necessary? No. Like good, you should Brian. never feel guilty about. You know my faith is rolling right yeah. now. Like I'm rocky. Like yeah. I, I fully believe I'm this and that. But I do think that one of the problems that happens in our faith, especially when you've been a, uh, in a Christian for a long time, and especially when you're in ministry and stuff, mm-hmm. Aubrey, is that you don't feel the freedom to say I'm struggling. Yeah, I'm heaven forbid, doubting, right? I'm wandering, right? I think all of these fall under the same umbrella, doubting, wandering, struggling, yes. They're all kind of the yes. same. I don't know that we've given people or more importantly, ourselves the freedom to admit that. So when you ask, is it necessary? I think it's inevitable. Yeah. And I think it's honest. And if you don't feel the honesty to be able to say, hey, I'm struggling right now, because then, you know, you can go talk to a friend, go talk to a pastor, uh, get back in the word, whatever else it might be. And so I would call it an honest thing that we all go through at times.
2: Yeah, I I think you're right. Honest is the right way to look at it. That's good. So Beth Knight over at Proverbs 31, she tells a story about avoiding uh, parking her minivan in their garage because apparently the garage door is really narrow She's afraid she's going to, you know, cause a car wreck, hit the side of the car, something like that. But one day she decided to do it, lost her focus. She said she had wandered off the straight and narrow path and caused uh, some damage to her car. And of course, she's applying that spiritually. Mm -hmm. When we are prone to wander, when we are straying from God, what are we supposed to do? And ultimately, she says, look to Jesus. She has three tips for us when we're prone to wander. The first from Proverbs 4.25 Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. She says, What I fix my eyes on is what I will follow. So to walk wisely, I must keep my eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of my faith. That's good. Two, she says, Give careful thoughts to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all of your ways. That's Proverbs 4.26. She's talking about carefully living out our faith, which presents an opportunity to proclaim Christ. And then she uh, quotes Proverbs 4.27. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from being evil. She reveals that we keep our feet from being evil by living according to God's word. So ultimately, what she talks about is when we are distracted, when we are prone to wander, we look to Jesus. And that's what keeps us, I guess, like on that straight and narrow path. And I do, you know, you and I have talked about this, Brian, like, uh, you know, the old lots of preachers use this, this great analogy right about how you're on a ship and it just takes like a little bit Mm -hmm. of a margin to be off the path that's how you wander you don't wander like in your own soul in your own spirit just one day you decide to wander like it is a slow drift towards wandering but if we can stay laser focused on jesus that keeps us on the path
1: yeah and the book of hebrews is something i thought of here when it says you know throw off the sin that so easily entangles fix your eyes on jesus kind of run the race right mm. but when we run you you've got your eyes set on something when you yeah. run or else you just kind of meander you right, wander right, right right uh if you're running a race you're like all right there's the finish line i'm running towards that if you're playing baseball say there's first base i'm running towards mm-hmm. that I have my eyes That's fixed good. on something uh and the book of hebrews tells us fix our eyes on jesus the author and perfecter of our faith That's good. um I do appreciate that. She says in another part here, when suffering and tragedy discourage, look to Jesus. Mm. When divisions and disunity dishearten, look to Jesus. When tempted to compare yourself to others, look to Jesus. And I, I appreciate that call to look to Jesus. Um, yeah, I, I think there, sometimes we can overcomplicate this. And yeah. we have to be reminded yeah. of who Jesus Gosh, is. That's so true. We Brian. need to fix our eyes on him. And I think community plays a really big role in this. Other people reminding us of this, I think. Uh, sets us up for success when we are prone to wonder.
2: Yeah, that's so good. I I also, (laughs) I was telling you beforehand that those statements... When this happens, look to Jesus, when this are like literally straight from my book known. So I'm thinking either the Holy Spirit is doing something beautiful here or something has happened and I need to talk to my publisher about it. We'll find out. Uh, Anyway, good words for all of us. Look to Jesus. It's the end of the day on Thursday. And we love to bring you at the end of the day, at the end of the show, something inspiring or challenging And I found this inspiring word from Tony Evans. Uh, We've been joking for the past week about who is America's (laughs) pastor. Like if someone can say, I am America's pastor... We've said before, it's Rick Warren, I think it comes it's down to Max three. Lucado. Those are the three,
1: and, and Tony Evans. And
2: I'm going to throw Tony Evans in here. I think Tony Evans is America's pastor. Is there
1: somebody of those three? Let's pretend that this was really okay. a tournament, right? Okay. Like a, <laughs> a who is Who most deserves the title oh. America's pastor? And you might be like, Woo! define that. That's part of what you have to do you here. You have to figure
2: that, that out. Is, so yeah.
1: you and I have put out there, this is our social media water cooler another time.
2: This is our social media uh, water cooler. This is.
1: Yeah. I think we want to go, if, if we were going to go three, Three, we want to feel Rick Warren, mm-hmm. Tony Evans, Max Lucado. Are we missing anybody? So,
2: I'm as the woman, I do feel like we have to throw in Beth Moore, and I know maybe people would say she's the women's pastor because she has, but she has discipled America's women for. 30 years I,
1: I get what you're saying for me the differentiation there is that she's not actually a pastor okay,
2: i see what you're saying she doesn't lead a church if you were asking okay, me who fair. are that's who fair. are that's america's
1: fair. spiritual leaders maybe or okay, something i might okay. put her in there
2: disciplers
1: but uh okay that's yeah fair. It, i that's think this fair. would be a facet we're gonna do this one some other time. Who, is who is America's pastor? who is america's
2: pastor well today i'm gonna say it's tony evans because that's a clip i want to share with you okay but uh okay all right i i'm Yeah, this is a good question. Who is America's pastor? All right. So Tony Evans uh, recently preached a sermon. He's talking about God's providence and he's talking about God's sovereignty. And uh, that's ultimately what he says. And I'll play you some audio in just a minute. Is that um, God's sovereignty is, as we know, um, his reign. The word reign is in the word sovereignty. His rule, his authority. Nothing is outside of God's authority, Tony says. Dr. Evans says. And then um Tony. Uh underneath sovereignty, Dr. Evans says um is God's providence and providence is the way God arranges things in order to achieve his sovereign purpose. Mm, okay? Mm. So I've never heard it broken those two phrases broken down like yeah. that. I think it's really interesting. Of course, he says it a lot more eloquently. So let's go ahead and take a listen to Dr. Tony Evans.
3: The first thing you need to know in your Christian experience is the gospel. You need to know how to come to faith in Jesus Christ for your eternal destiny, for your salvation. That's the most important thing to know. But the second thing you need to know is about God's sovereignty. Sovereignty. First Timothy chapter six, verse 15 says that God is sovereign. That is, he is the absolute ruler, controller, and sustainer of his creation. That's sovereignty. It's the ultimate ruler. The person who has the last say so, and here it is nothing sits outside of God's sovereignty. There are no events over which he does not rule. There are no things. If it is created, he runs it. That's sovereignty. The ultimate ruler over all of his creation. Underneath sovereignty is a word that couples with it, and that's the word providence. Providence is the way God arranges things to achieve his sovereign purposes. Sovereignty is his rulership. Providence is how he hooks things up integrates things, connects things, detaches things, arranges things in order to wind up at the sovereign goal to which he is moving. So providence is the arrangement that facilitates sovereignty. The Bible is clear that our God is sovereign. And that he does all things, Ephesians 1, verse 11, after the counsel of his own will. That his purposes can never be thwarted. The scripture is clear that he is ruler over
4: all.
2: Okay, Brian. So if God is truly sovereign and and, uh, he says the scripture is clear that God is, God is ruler over all, and that... Providence is the way God arranges things to fulfill His purpose. What does that? I mean, I feel like that gives us a lot of hope.
1: It does, and words like sovereignty and providence, uh, I've always found them to be a little scary.
2: Yeah, like a little intimidating.
1: Like, how do you explain it? How do uh-huh. you even internalize it? Like, that God so does that mean God controls everything? Is He moving all the chess pieces? Right, when tragedy right. hits, how do you wrestle with that? Yes. But I think at its very core, here's why this is comforting. Is that God's not surprised. God mm. doesn't wake up and look at your life and be like, mm. shoot, why did I let that happen to Aubrey? I was, I was doing something, <laughs> I was doing something else, yeah. and all of a sudden this happened to Aubrey. That's good. Uh, we know that God is, he understands, he is present, he yeah. is at work. We know that from scripture. So it doesn't always make sense to us. Um, but I do believe that even if you're scared by the concepts of God's sovereignty mm-hmm. and God's providence, it is actually a real, it's, it's comforting. It's comforting. Yeah empowering because okay god is at work he's at work in my life no matter what's going on right Mm -hmm. now he's at work in this world no matter how much it seems to be falling apart Mm -hmm. and and i think we could take uh, an unbelievable comfort in that
2: you know i've referenced this book a few times this week brian but i was reading uh, jeannie steven's book what's here now when i was on vacation last week she was on our show a few weeks ago promoting Mm -hmm. our new book and um, she, she's talking, she's actually not talking about this. She's talking about the present moment. But it strikes me as connected to God's providence and God's sovereignty in our life. Because one of the things she talks about is we can get so worried, worrying about what if, mm-hmm. what if this happens? What if this happened a different way? What if in the future, X, Y, Z, that we can miss out on what is Mm. and i think there's something about god's sovereignty and providence in that too because in our worry whether we're looking back wishing life had gone a different direction or whether we're thinking about all of the case scenarios whatever they are best case worst case for the future we're not i think trusting in god's sovereign hand of providence in our lives but if we can go well what is like what is Mm. where am i right now I can trust this is exactly the way that God has ordained my life to get me to this very moment. Mm -hmm. I think that gives you a sense of peace, a sense of contentment, a sense of surrender and trust because you're no longer trying to like wrestle control for a different path. You're saying, oh, wait, maybe I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be Mm -hmm. at this moment in time. Maybe the course of my life that I thought was going one way actually didn't because God had a different plan. Mm. And somehow trusting that where he has you now is right where you're supposed to be compared to where you thought you should have been. All, All that to say, I just I do feel like there's some. It's a moment to pause, to worship, to surrender, to be grateful that God does have a hand of sovereignty and providence over our lives.
1: And there's a sense of, in a weird way, there's a sense of control and a sense of order where things feel so disordered mm, and out of control.
2: That's good. And yeah.
1: knowing that the god of the universe is intricately involved in our lives mm-hmm. and cares, mm-hmm. I think is an enormous difference. Yeah. I mean that makes an enormous difference.
2: Yep, Abs- absolutely. So anyway, good words from maybe America's pastor
1: He's a top three. Here's what we, Here's what we need to do. Yeah. Okay. Mount Rushmore. I told you I'm going there later yes, in the week. Yes. When people say a Mount Rushmore of things, you know, the Mount Rushmore of <laughs> restaurants, what they get wrong is they do more than four. Mount Rushmores have four.
2: Okay. So when okay. they say,
1: what's the Mount Rushmore of basketball all-time greats? Okay. You got to choose four. That's four. Mount Rushmore has four. Okay. So I think we need to... Uh, what, the Mount Rushmore of America's pastors. Either later this week or when I get back, mm-hmm. a Mount Rushmore, and then we put that but, on social media. What is the Mount Rush? Oh, that's going to light to people this. up. A Mount Rushmore of America's pastors, and we can put parenthetically, you define that however you want, okay. but they have to be alive. But
2: they have to so be alive. No that's Billy good. Graham. Yep.
1: Yep. Nobody being like, I really think we're just offshoots of right. Luther. No, and, none and of that. no
2: offense, like no offense. Because he is alive and on the throne, but no Jesus no either. Jesus. Like really, like you're you're actually in a pastoral position. This might be, I
1: don't know if anyone else will care about this, but this might be one of my favorite things we've ever worked. <laughs> uh, note
2: to our executive producer Keith: Can you put that in our notes? We'll remember Mount that social media. Water. Rushmore. So Mount Rushmore.
1: Of of pastors
2: america's pastors maybe we have
1: to say evangelical pastors so. america's
2: evangelical pastors let's yes. get very niche and see who responds okay. to this all I'm right in. and if you're bored just go back and listen to that tony evans clip because that was a good one all right thanks so much for joining us today i'll be back tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m with special guest Catherine mcneil brian's going to be on vacation so excited for him to go for brian from i'm aubrey sampson and you've been listening to the common good on am 1160 hope for your life